Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Ian as Leonard Johnson. Tonight's episode, Day in the Life, Part 1. Day in the Life contains violence, red string boards, conspiracy theories and sudden, immediate danger. Consider this your warning. What has Lenny been up to since the event, since he discovered that weird cabin? Lenny has been um, getting really fucking paranoid. He, he, he's going to keep his word, but he doesn't like the idea of keeping secrets from Orpheus o- over the long term because it seems like kind of a fool's errand. Um, but he wants to keep his word to this guy. So... I think he has been kind of getting back into the rhythm of his normal life as a dad and trying to just live, but also just like constantly looking over his shoulder, constantly like, you know, being afraid that something is going to happen. And I think he's, he's just been getting like very deep in his head about something bad happening to him and his and his family either at the hands of Orpheus or some other crazy supernatural occurrence again there hasn't been any huge changes in his life or his routine and he is just uh you know trying to uh stay on top of everything keep his kids safe make sure that nothing horrifying is happening um, and, you know, hope that he doesn't get in trouble with Orpheus again. But I think it's been a fairly uneventful period of time for him, other than all that. You've been relaxing at home, taking care of your family. You don't know where Vlad's gone. Last you heard, he had been taken back to the Miami Orpheus base, where he'd been receiving training for his pathokinetic abilities. You've been keeping in touch with him semi-regularly, mostly through text messages, sometimes calls. But for the most part, life has been returning to normal. And it is during one of these cool but humid evening that you find yourself on your couch in your living room watching TV. The kids have gone to sleep. What is your wife doing tonight? I kind of like the idea that uh, they were going to watch something together like some old, very, very nerdy movie, like one of the Star Trek motion pictures or something. And uh, she couldn't stay awake because she actually has like a job. So she's just like asleep on the couch next to him. Um, And Lenny is like just kind of getting into that uh, late night anxiety state of mind where he's kind of worried that either a ghost or a secret agent is going to break in and kill his whole family, but he's trying to push it out of his mind and just like focus on the movie. And as you try and focus on this old Star Trek movie, you can feel your wife slowly slide down the couch and her head lightly thumps on your shoulder. She is fast asleep. (laughs) I was just going to say, I think Lenny tries not to uh, disturb her too much. It's reached the point now where you are in I can't move mode because if you move, you know you're going to wake her up and waking her up is bad. And so you have to sit there in sullen silence as the movie drags on and on. You can feel yourself getting tired. The events of that vacation that you had really wore on your psyche for the last few days. You've been getting over it slowly but surely. But there's some part of you that still remains paranoid. All the what-ifs and possibilities floating around in your mind as you, well, try to distract yourself. 
And I bet Star Trek is a terrible distraction because all of those movies had to do with time travel. <laughs> it's horrible. What You're watching The Wrath of Khan. Yes. <laughs> and you can feel yourself slowly drifting away into sleep. You can see black creeping in on the edges of your vision. Your eyelids get heavy and you find yourself asleep and you dream. When you wake up, the first thing you notice is just how bright it is. The sun hurts your eyes as you blink yourself awake and take a good look at your surroundings. Why don't you roll me a why don't you roll me an awareness check with your perception, please? Will do. I don't like the sound of this uh, seeming to imply I'm no longer in my living room. Sorry, that um, awareness is a very good skill for Lenny. I, I've forgotten about this, but he's, he's a super aware guy. So I'm going to use my plus two from awareness rank S and blast in the three temp strain. Okay, then that'll be a result of eight. You rub the sleep from your eyes and blink several times real slow to get your eyes more easily adjusted to the light. And as you look around, you realize you're lying in what appears to be a chair in the hustle and bustle of Miami-Dade International Airport. It's a bright and sunny day. You can see heat haze coming off the tarmac in the distance through the windows of the airport terminal. Oh, damn. This is the airport that we left from on the flight to Frankfurt, right? Where we encountered the... Uh ghost fucking eating people up in the sky <laughs> you dimly recall that memory as you take in your surroundings and you realize that your family is next to you you've got susan sitting right next to you she is on her phone and then in front of you your two children kim and charlie they appear to be playing Kim is chasing Charlie around. They are both zipping around this particular part of the airport. And Kim is being very careful to be in your line of sight so that she doesn't get presumably yelled at by either one of her parental figures. You appear to be not just in the airport terminal, but you appear to be in a gate waiting area, presumably waiting for a flight of some kind. A flight that when you jog your memory, it feels like this has already happened. This place these people feel very familiar and with an eight in your awareness check you take a look around the room a little bit more you stand up pretending to stretch your back as if you'd just woken up from a nap and when you survey the room you can see the two familiar faces of caspian and vlad mm -hmm. fuck yeah so this would appear to lenny to be before leaving for that flight I just mentioned, the flight to Frankfurt. You hazily remember certain details about waiting for that flight because, well, who remembers waiting for something? You only remember the events of that flight. Meeting Vlad and Caspian for the first time, finding out that there was some sort of ethereal eldritch ectoplasm that was consuming souls and watching Caspian wrangle ghosts and destroy it you know what became of caspian and vlad after that flight caspian went back to los angeles to perhaps talk with some orpheus people there and vlad became your babysitter for a time until of course that fateful vacation in the national forest but this this feels like the precursor to everything it is vaguely familiar to you in a liminal way like, this is the place that you pass through on your way to a nightmare or perhaps a new beginning or even an end. What do you do? You know, I, I really think um, Lenny's first thought, uh, if this is all, um, it, you know, the, the, way this, the way you've described all of this, I, I really think he would believe that he is still asleep and kind of try to wake himself up, like thinking this is a dream. If he can remember being in his living room and now he is in what kind of almost seems like a memory, it just feels like the first logical conclusion would be that you're still dreaming. So I think he does the 
the immediate cliche response of just trying to pinch himself awake. And then if that doesn't work, he tries to like slap himself in the face. You sit back down and you pinch yourself. It hurts. You slap yourself once, twice in the face. Susan looks up from your phone and sees you doing this and she <laughs> goes, um, Lenny, what are you doing? Susan, um, sorry, I, uh, I didn't mean to scare you. Just, is everything, is everything okay? She gives you a confused look. She glances back down at her phone and then you can see her eyes sort of look you over very quickly and she says, um, yeah, everything's okay. We planned for this vacation months in advance and we didn't really forget anything, did we? No, um, no, we didn't. Do you remember watching Star Trek? When? Last night? Just now. Just now. Lenny, we've been at the airport for two hours. Yeah, no, no, of, of course. Absolutely. Totally. She has, she has a look of concern on her face as she turns to almost fully face you. And she places the back of her hand on your forehead and she says, Are, are you feeling okay, Lenny? No, I, I'm not. I feel weird. I should probably, I should probably go to the bathroom. Um, maybe get some gravel from the newsstand real quick. Why don't you roll me a deception check with your charisma? Will do. Not a skill that he has, and charisma is one of his worst attributes up there with his vitality. So let's see how this goes. That's a plus two on the dice, um, and I'll spend the one strain that I'm able to uh, to make that a four. You know your wife, and you know how perceptive she can be. But at the same time, you've also worked for the FBI, and the people there have taught you at least how to lie to people about the work that you do. And so lying does come a little too naturally for you, even though you aren't the best at it. But you've managed to reassure your wife of several horrifying, mortifying cases over the last decade, decade and a half of you working for first the FBI and then for Orpheus. Something like that. She nods and she says, well, don't be too long, okay? We should be boarding like the next half an hour. No, yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. Just, uh, just want to deal with it before getting on the plane, you know? She nods, smiles, and leans over and kisses you on the cheek. I think Lenny is, like, too freaked out to really return a gesture of affection right now. But, yeah, like, kind of accepts it so as to not freak her out too much more. All right. You grab your passport and you leave the gate area. Where are you headed? Um... <clears throat> On my way away from the gate area, before I'm actually out of sight, I'm going to wait for Susan to kind of go back to reading or like playing on her phone or whatever she's doing and try to get either Vlad or Caspian's attention and just see if I can, if I can, <laughs> I know neither of them would logically recognize me at this point. This is before the events that actually brought us together. But if Lenny is, kind of conscious transport conscience transported back to this moment he's thinking there might be some chance that vlad or caspian is also like their future self right now um so he's gonna just like kind of behind his wife's back like be trying to wave to vlad or caspian before he walks out of uh sight all right so i need you to make two rolls the first one is a presence check with your charisma. Also a skill I don't have. <laughs> I wasn't as lucky this time. This is a negative one on the dice, but I will still spend the one strain that I can to give me a total of one on the check. You know what? With a one, I don't think you need to make the second roll. You stand up, dust your shirt off, and you exit the gate. As you walk past the crowd that sits within this gate area, you try and wave towards either Vlad or Caspian. But as you wave, you notice not just them looking, but several other people looking at you as if to say, what is this guy doing? This is weird. Catching far too many glances, you awkwardly lower your hand and exit the gate area. You head towards the nearest convenience store, which is a couple minutes walk away, and you buy your nausea medication, maybe another bottle of water. 
what do you do now? Yeah, I think as as Lenny is going through all of this, um, you know, walking away, going through the convenience stuff, like he is trying to really pay a ton of attention to things and almost like pay like look for the weird details of stuff that I guess would this, this is kind of a hard thing to describe, but uh, he, like when he's in the uh, convenience stop, he's going to be like looking at magazines and like looking through their pages a little bit and like looking at candy bars and like reading the backs of the wrappers and shit. Because I think he has the sense that if this is some kind of a dream or a simulation, that he might notice something off in the details of something or he might notice missing details, probably just making himself look more and more like a very suspicious and crazy person at the airport. He is just like really peering over everything as he does that. Could you roll me a luck check, please? Totally. That's a flat. As you begin to peruse the shelves of this convenience store, perhaps searching for food, candy, some more water, maybe a magazine to read on your flight, you look over ingredient lists on these bars of chocolate and flip through some pages on a magazine. They appear to be everything that should be there. The ingredient lists match to what you remember of these particular candy bars. And even though you don't read this magazine, it looks like it's full of details that would exist within this particular women's magazine. Yeah, it's not like full of blank pages or like gibberish or whatever. Yeah, this is probably just Lenny like having watched the movie Inception <laughs> and thinking that the, that it'll, you know, whatever he's in right now is going to follow Inception rules. Man, okay. Having found nothing weird after all of this, how much time has passed since I left Susan? Because she said we had 30 minutes till the flight, right? Yep. You check your watch and it's only been about five minutes. Okay, then... I think Lenny is going to walk through the terminal away from the gate where he left Susan and the kids for like the next 12 minutes, giving himself like just enough time to turn around and get back to the gate before the flight if necessary. But now he wants to see if there is an edge to this dream that he is having. (laughs) As you take your walk, you look around yourself you look around your surroundings, making sure that everything is supposed making sure that everything that's supposed to be there is there and keeping your eye out for any inconsistencies in things like signage, crowd movements, people noticing him that shouldn't be noticing him, and so on. And you can feel that same paranoia slowly creep into your psyche as you walk further and further away from the gate. You check your watch. It's now been 10 minutes since you left Susan. Nothing appears to have changed. Everything appears to be as it should be. Mm-hmm. Man, I think Lenny is going to return to Susan and the kids at this point because part of him really wants to just leave right now, I guess, like just either like take his family with him and get the fuck out of here or just literally run away. But thinking back on what happened on the flight, Caspian and Vlad are going to need his help once shit starts going down. He doesn't, he, I mean, he probably does want to leave, but he doesn't feel good about abandoning the two of them. If all of this is, somehow real or like some version of real and it is obviously in the back of his mind that he knows for a fact that time travel is possible and it is actually very likely at this point that he is actually here somehow that he has actually been sent back in time into his own body (laughs) the moments in the moments before the flight and if that is true not only does he not want to screw up the timeline, he also does need to be there to help Vlad and Caspian save the flight. So he somewhat reluctantly is going to return to Susan and the kids and try to act normal and board the flight. But I think he's going to make another attempt 
to make contact with Vlad and Caspian once they've boarded. As you make your way back into the gate waiting area, you sit down next to your wife. She notices that you've bought the things that you said you were going to buy. And she nods and says, are you okay? You going to be okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, feeling better. Um, you know, when we get on the flight, just uh, make sure to keep an eye on the kids real close. I've heard, um, you know, pretty nasty stories about what can happen if, uh, I don't know, if you get lost on one of these big transatlantic airliners, you know? She places a hand on top of yours and she says, Lenny, you're being paranoid. Nothing's going to happen. And well, these are our kids, you know? Yeah, I know. I know. I just got a bad feeling. I don't know. Just be extra careful, I guess. She sort of sighs and you can see her shoulders sag a little bit. And she says, all right, sure. You're the boss. I'll make sure they don't leave their seats. And I think Lenny doesn't say anything in response. He just kind of sinks into his seat and very nervously waits for boarding while really, really keeping an eye out for anything weird. And actually, I think he's going to use this time to really consciously try to call up the memories that he has of this day first time around to try and pour through the details that he can remember about what happened you know like anything that he can call to mind either to notice if anything different happens but also to to try and continue to do the same things that he had done before and so you sit there with your head in your hands as you go through the events of what happened this day. The recollection is hazy at best. You don't remember anything notable happening as you boarded the aircraft with your family because, well, nothing happened. It was, as far as you knew, perfectly normal. It was a normal summer day. You were boarding a presumably normal plane and you assumed that nothing was going to happen. But of course, everything happened. And as you continue with your recollection, you feel a weight sit next to you in the empty seat. And you hear a man say, Nice family. Your son's going to become a powerful individual, you know. What did you just say? I said what I said. Your son was going to be someday very, very powerful. I think Lenny would recognize this as something that did not happen the first time around. Like, he would, he would remember this guy saying that to him if that had happened the first time. The alarm bells are ringing in your head. Yeah, what's this guy look like? As you sit up and take in what this man looks like, he is what appears to be an, what appears to be a Caucasian man. He is dressed in a black suit with a black tie, white shirt, black slacks, shoes. The dress shirt is untucked. The tie is ever so slightly loosened around his neck. But the most striking part about his visage is that his entire head, save for his eyes and his mouth, are wrapped up in dirty bandages. The same thing with his hands and his arms. Oh, fuck. Okay. Man, they're dirty bandages. (laughs) Oh, that is a creepy-ass image. Um, Okay, Lenny is very, very taken aback by this. There's something creepy about going through the exact same thing that he had already been through but it's so much worse to have a strange out of nowhere encounter like that in the middle of it but yeah no in response to the guy just saying like i said what i said your son's gonna be very powerful lenny leans closer to the guy with like he's probably like shaking a little bit in fear he says have you, you been here before? Sure. The beginning, the end, everything in between. I've seen it. I might not have lived it, but I've been watching you for a long time, Leonard Johnson. I don't know exactly what to say to that. Were you, were you watching us when those people disappeared on the plane? An excellent show of skill, though it wasn't. Me or my employers who arranged that. That was a pure coincidence. 
We knew something dangerous, something bad was going to happen that day. Zoned in on three individuals, that whole flight, who had the biggest potential to do something heroic. And he leans in, like, even closer to the guy. This might be a weird thing to ask, but what does the guy smell like? He smells like ash, burning ozone. That's what I thought. Like a lightning strike. Um, and as, as Lenny leans in closer, he says, and were you watching me a few months from now at the cabin? Of course. I had to keep tabs on you and your buddy Vlad and everybody else tied up in this whole sordid affair. Are you, are you with Orpheus or the other guys? No, of course not. Like I said, I watch. But that means I can't intervene. I'm not with you and your merry band of misfits. And I'm not with those guys in suits that are trying to kill you. <laughs> guys in suits trying to kill me. I, uh, I haven't been through that one yet. I guess thanks for the heads up. I meant that more in a figurative sense. You know your actions in that cabin in Florida. It really set off the chain reaction of things that you aren't fully aware of. I had a feeling, but I don't know what else I could have what else I could have done. You did what you had to. Do you know why I'm back here? Of course. You're dreaming. You've fallen asleep on your couch watching Well, probably one of the better Star Trek movies to ever make it out of Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh, I see. I see. So I'm not really here right now. I'm still there. No, of course not. That's good. That's good. But this is all... all doesn't feel like a normal dream to me. Drawing up people's memories can sometimes be, well, challenging. But I know you, Lenny. I don't know you as well as you know yourself. But I know you have an eye for detail and a very good memory. You might not personally remember some of these details. But your subconscious does. Hmm. Interesting. The man shifts a little in his seat next to you, and he turns to face you slightly. And you can see that on this white dress shirt, there are two words written on the left breast in a dark red ink, or perhaps even dye or blood. The shirt says, wake up. Wait, wait, wait. I, I just... Wanted to ask you, you said my son is going to become, my son's going to become powerful. I, what do you mean? I mean, is he going to be okay? Of course. You're a great father, Leonard Johnson. To have raised someone so noble. But of course, this is all information far in the future, beyond your lifetime. All I can say is, you raised a good kid. Well, uh... Thanks, I, I guess. No problem. However, there still is the matter of how your son was going to reach that day in time. And so let me pose you a question, Leonard Johnson. What would you do? How far would you go to protect your family and the ones you love? I, I would do anything to protect them. It's really all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I have. You know, you don't strike me as a sort of the type of guy to throw hands. But I can see your intentions. They're noble. You remind me a little bit of, well, things that happened to me a long, long time ago. But this story isn't about me. It's about you. Lenny, I'm at a level with you here. Normally my meetings with others go a little bit more enigmatically. Or perhaps a bit more mysteriously than others. And what I'm going to do now might get me in trouble with the people who hired me. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Tell me. You're a family man. Reminds me of myself a long time ago. And I don't want to see another family torn to shreds because of hubris or weakness. I think Lenny, Lenny's face falls very dramatically when he says that. Like, Lenny was leaning in, looking very concerned. When he says that, 
it turns more to a look of just straight up fear. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Lenny. You already know I can look into the future. I've seen it. I've seen multiple, many, all of them. Every last one and everyone that is to come. And no matter what happens, what you do, what I say, there will always be conflict. There's a war coming, Lenny. A war that's going to sweep up everything and everyone you know. And it's going to be bloody. It's going to be dangerous. And you won't be able to come back to this. And he gestures around to the waiting room. For a long time. When he says that, I think Lenny does something a little uncharacteristic. And he grabs the guy by the collar of his dress shirt and goes in even closer so that like his nose is touching the dirty bandages. And he says, if that's going to happen no matter what, then you need to tell me how I can keep my family safe. The man chuckles. This close, you can tell that his teeth are not all there. Some of them are missing in places. The rest are a dirty smoker's yellow. And he says in a voice that smells of cigarette smoke. Relax, Lenny. I was getting to that part. <sighs> fine, fine. Just go ahead. The people that hired me, uh, they're very neutral about what happens. All they want is balance in the universe. And right now, and in the future, the near future, there is going to be an upheaval in that dynamic. Darkness and evil are going to swell exponentially. You don't know it, but what you discovered in that forest, that coincidence sets in motion something greater, something bigger than the sum of its parts. Now normally, I would be content to sit back and watch, but having observed you and your theoretical infinite futures, I think it's time for me to do something that I'm not supposed to do. I don't want to see another family suffer. He reaches into his jacket and pulls from an inner pocket what looks to be a small thumb drive. You recognize it as a USB flash drive. Useful in your line of work. Mm-hmm. He takes one of your hands and presses the thumb drive into your palm. You can feel it squirm almost as he closes your fingers around the small device. Ugh. As he says, Take this. All of the information within this thumb drive is all the knowledge and the power you need to protect your family. I normally wouldn't be this direct. I would weave some sort of narrative about values, try and question your inner morals and stuff like that. This is family. I understand family very, very deeply. And I don't want to see a family man like you repeat the mistakes that I made. And you wake up. Oh, as as I'm feeling myself wake up, I think Lenny opens his mouth to ask the guy his name, like clutching the USB drive closely, just like says, wait, what's your name? Do I have any time before I wake up? As you are on the verge of waking up, you can see the man smile. And as he opens his mouth to respond, you find yourself back on your couch in your living room, your wife fast asleep on your shoulder, and the credits are rolling. I, I don't think Lenny is able to stop himself from like sitting up suddenly and kind of like knocking Susan off of his shoulder and looking in his hand to see if the USB drive is still there. You knock Susan off of your shoulder and she lands on the couch next to you. She snorts awake and as you take in your surroundings once again, she rubs sleep from her eyes and she says, Did, did I fall asleep? Oh, no, I fell asleep, didn't I? Yeah, no, no worries. It's, uh, we've seen it all before, right? No worries. Yeah, for the upteenth time. I'm going to go upstairs and actually get ready for actual bed. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow you up there in a minute. Okay, just don't fall asleep again, I guess. 
she kisses your cheek, yawns and gets up, stretches a little bit, and then she walks around the couch and disappears up the stairs. Yeah, and Lenny Lenny is going to see if he still has that USB drive as soon as she's gone. You don't have it in your hands, but as you pat yourself down, trying to figure out where this thing is, you pat your pocket that your phone is in, and you find something else sitting on top of your phone. You stick a hand into the pocket of your pants, and there it is, the thumb drive. It looks exactly the same as when that strange man had handed it to you. Does it squirm when I touch it again? It feels like plastic, hard plastic. That's kind of a relief. Good. Um, Wow, okay. I think Lenny is going to... I mean, this is never a good thing to do, but he's going to plug the drive that stranger gave him into his personal computer. (laughs) It's not a good thing to do in real life, but if you get it from someone in a dream and then you still have it when you wake up, you've got to find out what's on it. if, If this were a fucking... Dream monster Freddy Krueger man trying to rickroll me, that would be delightful. Lenny will very, I mean, pretty reticently plug it into his computer and boot it up and try and see what's on it. He is absolutely terrified what he's going to see. Like, he's been told that there is a war coming, that his family is at risk of being torn to shreds either literally or figuratively and the information he's about to see is the only means that he has of preventing any of it you head into the study and plug this usb drive into the computer that sits at your office desk you turn it on computer boots normally and it reads the drive as you open up the contents of the usb drive you can see that it is a single file It appears to be a PDF document, unlabeled, and you open it up. The first thing that greets you is the bright blue and yellow Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigation, sigil, plastered on the front of this document. You recognize this. It's how your old work used to go. These are, this looks, at first glance, like an FBI case file. I'd like you to roll a horror check, please. Will do. I will roll a horror check. <laughs> so my horror skill is discipline with cognition. That is a minus one on the dice, but I can replace it with a plus one. So I will have a six on that. You pass, standing to lose two sanity damage. Nice. So how does Lenny react seeing the logo of his old workplace show up suddenly on his computer again? On the thumb drive that as far as you know, showed up in a dream. He is extremely perplexed. I I think, if anything, he was expecting to plug this in and see, like, I I don't even know, like, something otherworldly staring back at him. (laughs) But seeing something kind of as mundane as the Department of Justice seal really throws him off. Um, And I actually think he giggles uncontrollably for a couple seconds, just thinking, like, what the fuck? Like, he just gave me an FBI case file? What is this? But sort of remembering that this is definitely still something really weird and still something really important, he's going to pour through the, the PDF file as closely and attentively as he possibly can reading if it is just a case file then reading all of the details of the case and once he has uh just read once he's finished just reading through the the pdf file i would like to make like a cyber security check or something to see if there's any hidden information or anything on the on the usb stick if it's like you know concealed or encrypted somehow if I can access anything other than just this PDF file. But first, he's just going to look through the file as closely as possible. As you scroll through the PDF file, you find that, yes, it is, in fact, an FBI case file. The date on the file 
as you scroll, you find it stamped on the upper corner of one of these scanned pages. And the date says June 28th, 1999. You remember this. You remember this year for you. It was when the FBI started putting you on the real cases, the big ones. Drug smuggling, murders, rampage, home invasions, mass shootings, all of that sordid, gritty, horrifying stuff. As you continue looking through this case file, you remember about this case. You remember your superior assigning you to this case to figure out everything you could about, well, everything and everyone about the case. You were, at the time, a case analyst. You remember this case as being very strange when you first opened up the manila folder that you were given all the way back in 1999. It was a home invasion gone wrong. The victim was an old man who had some mundane job that you can't really remember. And he had a wife of roughly 20 years and a daughter who was just turning 13. According to the police reports, there was a home invasion while he was away at work. The robbers attempted to steal a bunch of this guy's valuables. The mom and the daughter got in the way and in the process, they were both violently murdered perhaps out of rage or spite or even self-defense on the robber's part. You don't know. But after that, that's where the reports started to get even stranger. You continue scrolling and scrolling, reading police report after police report of incidents of gratuitous violence happening throughout the city of Quantico in Virginia, where you worked. And these incidents of violence and bloodshed. What was strange about them wasn't that there were incidents of violence following this home invasion. It wasn't the fact that the lead suspects of these violent crimes happened to be the same man whose wife and kid were murdered. But the strangeness of it was in the eyewitness accounts. Some of these crimes happened in broad daylight with multiple witnesses. And as you pour through this document, you read these eyewitness statements. A, a lot of these people that witnessed these crimes recalled the man, the prime suspect, as it were, shrugging off gratuitous amounts of violence towards him. Stab wounds, gunshot wounds, fire. Nothing seemed to slow him down. All the way until the man named Charles Kidman was arrested by police after he voluntarily surrendered himself to the proper authorities, two weeks after his rampage ended. It was then that you realized something was amiss about this world. Something didn't add up. How was, by all accounts, an average American man able to survive the sheer gratuitous amount of punishment that he put himself through, all for the sake of vengeance for his dead family? It was that exact line of thinking, and it was that exact case that set you on the path to join Orpheus several years down the road, when out of the blue, you started to notice more oddities in some of the cases you worked. Little, almost insignificant details about suspects, about victims, about their crimes, or about their circumstances that just didn't seem to add up. You remember dimly Sometime in 2004, after you watched the news reports of bombs going off in the London Underground, that a strange individual showed up at your office in Quantico, Virginia. He wasn't wearing a suit, no, but he was wearing an FBI jacket. He looked normal, like a colleague almost, except when he ushered you into a quiet interview room, he handed you a business card of a different organization entirely and told you secrets that you were meant to take to your grave and beyond. And that card had a purple liar on it. This case, this almost incredible true story was your gateway into the strange and odd and dangerous world of Orpheus. And 
that realization, it sends a chill down your spine. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that um, it probably doesn't take Lenny long, like looking through this case to remember it and recognize it if it had this big impact on him. And he's wondering, like, why give me this if I already knew? If I already knew about this case, why do I need to know about it now? What do I need to do about it now? <laughs> and he's, yeah, probably literally has chills down his spine. You fall back into your office chair. There is a cold sweat on your brow as you consider the implications of what you've just read. But at the same time, now that you're retired, you read through this case again and you get into the mindset of trying to understand why this man did what he did. And you realize that once you peel away all the layers surrounding this crime, this incident, this case, you find that Charles Kidman, his motivations are almost the same as yours. He saw his family getting hurt due to violence that he couldn't prevent. And in return, he visited violence upon the people that caused it, upon all of them, every last one. And he didn't stop until the job was done. And you recall what that strange bandaged man asked you in your dream, the lengths that you would go to to protect your family. And when you said you would do anything, you look at this case and you realize Charles Kidman did the exact same thing. I think Lenny, yeah, like leaning back and having this realization, it is running through his mind. Like, was I just talking to Charles Kidman in my fucking dreams? Did I just meet this man? You know, and if I did just meet him in my dreams, how is that possible? And why, why is he trying to protect me? And where is he now? Is he still here in the real world somewhere? All of this shit is just running through Lenny's mind. <laughs> Why did you roll me up that cybersecurity check with your cognition, please? Oh, I just rolled a plus three on the dice. That's pretty sweet. I am going to invoke my principle of being home safe and on time for my family. <laughs> going to roll up a D3 for that invocation, which is a plus three. Oh, this is going to be a really high result on this check. I'm also putting in three strain. So that's a final result of a 14. 14. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry, uh, DJ. I, uh, I, sorry to interrupt. I forgot that I have intelligence training rank two, which I think would make a lot of sense to be usable on this check. Would you allow me to apply my intelligence training bonus on this check? Sure. Why not? So with that plus five, my result on this check is actually going to be a 19. Good grief. With a 19, you focus in and do what you said you would do and go into the metadata of this PDF file, along with looking through any other file details within the PDF itself. And you find that this case file was apparently digitized from the actual physical case files sometime in the late 2010s. And this wasn't done by you. This was done by someone else. At the time, you had already joined Orpheus and were working for them. The physical scanning and digitization of this particular case file was someone else's work. And that detail doesn't phase you. That is fine. The file itself appears to have originated from the FBI's Quantico headquarters, where you remember you used to work. It was downloaded from there and accessed by an anonymous user with FBI security clearance. You don't quite figure out who this person is because their access was encrypted. And you are unfortunately unable to access said database from here because you are all the way in Florida. And as you recall, you need to have direct access to their computers over in Virginia to do so. But you do figure out that the file also isn't corrupted in any way, shape, or form. There are no viruses. There are no tracing programs. There are no Trojans. Nothing on this PDF indicates that whoever gave it to you meant for it to also damage your computer in some way, shape, or form. The USB drive itself appears to be normal. It is a 
250 gigabyte flash drive. You recognize it as a rather cheap one that you can get from someplace like a Walmart for very cheap. It appears to be normal. All of the other empty space in the flash drive is empty space. And it only appears that this file is on the flash drive. You are able to determine that nothing else is on the drive. No other documents, no hidden files, no tracking programs, no hidden executables, nothing. It's a clean drive with a clean file. And it is a little unsettling as to just how clean all of this is. Almost as if this was prepared just for you. Yeah, I think Lenny was kind of expecting there to be something fundamentally weird about the drive itself. I was going to ask if you didn't mention, like, can I figure anything out about the USB drive itself, knowing that, like, it was handed to him in a dream and then it was there in real life, but it all just seems to be normal, physical, mundane, and just has this one file on it that seems to potentially point to a connection, like a direct connection between him and the guy he was talking to in his dream, who I'm just going to start calling Charles Kidman. But just to confirm, I do know when this file was digitized and when it was accessed to be put on this drive. Yes. Okay, then I think... Lenny at least has something to start looking into to try and figure out what's going on. He will probably be trying to get in touch with anyone he still knows at the FBI to ask them if they, if they know about, you know, who accessed this, who, you know, delivered it to him, see, see what he can find out about that. But that might not be something you can do in the middle of the night because it involves calling people on the other side of the country. And as you realize this, you feel yourself start to yawn. And you do. It's really late. And you are tired. The events of that dream seem so real. And it felt like it had taken so much out of you. But at the same time, it feels like you have a renewed sense of purpose. Something inside of you has yawned, rubbed its eyes, and awoken for the first time in a long time. That inquisitive nature about yourself, that drive to know more, and a renewed determination to make sure that your family can weather the coming storm. And so you go to bed, tired but focused. You know what you're going to do tomorrow, and you know what you need to find. And so you go upstairs, head to bed, everything appears to be normal. You find your wife already asleep under the covers. The air conditioning is on. It is hot outside, but in here, at least, you feel safe. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Ian for playing Leonard. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. Reeling from the strange dream, Lenny goes back to his daily life. But fate comes knocking with a phone call and a job offer. Next time on Day in the Life, Part 2.